Skull Rock Podcast is brought to you by the generosity of the following companies. Sure, sound extraordinary. To podcasters, recording musicians, and streamers who are looking for studio quality audio at home or on the road, the Shure MV7 Podcast Kit is a premium all-in-one solution inspired by the legendary Shure SM7B and is designed to address the versatility required by modern creators. For more on the Shure MV7 Podcast Kit, visit Shure.com, S-H-U-R-E.com, or click the link in our show notes. Shure, sound extraordinary. And by... The Old Mill Press, publishing beautifully crafted books that illuminate our world. To learn more, visit theoldmillpress.com and by listeners like you. This is animator Rebecca Reese, and you are listening to the Skull Rock Podcast. Skull Rock Podcast, talking all things Disney, with your hosts, L. John Goh and Dave Bossert. Welcome to Skull Rock Podcast, the show about all things Disney and pop culture. Every week we take you behind the scenes of some of your favorite Disney films, theme park attractions, performances, books, music, as well as what's streaming, what's in theaters, and what's going on in this universe of entertainment. Hello, I'm Al John Go, musician and longtime Disney, Marvel, Star Wars, and pop culture fan. And you can email me, aljohn, A-L-J-O-N, at skullrockpodcast.com. Aye, and I'm Dave Bossert, and the winds are blowing and the rains are coming. Uh, I'm an artist, filmmaker, and author, and welcome to the Skull Rock Podcast. If you love Disney and pop culture, please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. You can also like and follow us on Facebook, X, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can also email me at Dave at SkullRockPodcast.com. Al John, we've got like the storm of the century hitting Los Angeles, Southern California uh, today and, uh, you know, over the next several days. Uh, so torrential downpours, they're, they're already issuing evacuation orders for some parts of Los Angeles. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it's crazy. It's apocalyptic. It is. But you know what? I mean, I guess you need a good cleaning every now and again. <laughs> I know. You know something? I, I think we need the rain. It's just not getting buckets of it all at once. That's you know? true. I, I mean, mean, if we could just spread it out over a few weeks. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, spread it out, you know, wait until the, you know, the fire season happens and then, you know, spread it out some more. You know, let's do that. There let's you go. See. Hey, listen, we've got a great show again. Uh, we've got, uh, what do we have? We have part two of the Chris Bailey interview. Wow, yeah. Um, and, uh, I think part one was terrific. I'm looking forward to part two. Chris is, uh, uh, just, uh, a great professional, uh, and, uh, looking forward to, uh, the second part with him. Yes. Uh, we've got a lot of great guests lined up over the next uh, couple of months. Uh, yeah. we've got a bunch of shows already in the can, as they say, <laughs> uh, and uh, <laughs> I'm looking forward to getting to those, but uh, today's going to be great. Yeah. How are you doing? Man, I'm doing good. You know, just just crazy. Just want to touch on this. You know, we got this killer car. You know, my wife's car got totaled a couple of weeks ago. Told you that story. Told our listeners that. And then as we're coming home with the new car, I get hit from, you know, I get hit at an intersection by a couple and I'm like, oh my goodness. And she was right behind me when it happened. So for her, it happened it, like in slow motion in a very busy downtown Nashville intersection. I'm like, oh, goodness me. We just can't win for trying. Uh, 
I'm just, I'm so sorry to hear that. I mean, it's just awful. Yes. Luckily, no one was hurt. Our kids are fine. But once again, we just cannot escape that. So I'm hoping that this rush, uh, this rash of bad luck is over. Knock on wood, knock on the microphone, and that we can move on and, and get the car taken care of. So. Just I hope so. Crazy. I'm just happy that nobody got hurt. And I mean, you had the kids in the car with you. Yeah, they, they were a little shaken up about it. But at the end of the day, everybody was okay. And luckily for me, I had my tablet. So they were watching some Disney Junior while I was in the while I was dealing with everything. They were oh, good. They were, they were good, man. Nothing like the Disney app, uh, the Disney Plus app to uh, get the kids kind of, uh, you know, out of their uh, out of their funk so yes, <laughs> happy yes. about that well we do have some stuff we're going to talk about in terms of what we're uh, uh we're checking out this week uh, as well as the news headlines but let's go ahead and tell everybody about what we've been watching this week the thumbs up or thumbs down gladiator style dave what have you been watching well, you know, I went to the theater this week uh, and saw Argyle. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I saw that in IMAX. Okay. And uh, I really enjoyed this movie. I know it didn't perform as well as they would have liked it to for the weekend, opening weekend. But uh, the lead on this uh, is Bryce Dallas Howard. Yes. She, she's terrific. Yes. Uh, she plays a reclusive author, Ellie Conway, who writes best-selling espionage novels about a secret agent named Argyle who's on a mission to unravel a global spy syndicate. However, when the plots of her books start to mirror the covert actions of a real-life spy organization, the line between fiction and reality begin to blur. Wow. Um, you know, she's the lead and she plays against Sam Rockwell, yes. who is just a terrific actor. Um, really enjoyed this. Uh, Henry uh, uh, Cavill uh, plays Argyle, uh, the fictional uh, secret agent. And uh, John Senna's in this. Uh, and you've also got... Uh, 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 Oh gosh, uh, uh, Brian Cranston. Yeah, right. You know, play plays sort of the the villain, uh, and uh, it, it's just a, a really terrific uh, film. I I really enjoyed this in IMAX. There's some great uh, uh, effects. Uh, there's so also some very implausible things that are almost hilarious, you uh, know, because they're going over the top with the fictional character. Yes. Um, but I enjoyed this film. Uh, I, I saw it in IMAX. It, it was, uh, it was a fun ride. Uh, and I would recommend it. You know, who's in it that I blew my mind. Dua Lipa, the singer, the pop singers in this. Yes. And she is. She's in this. Yeah. It just tripped me out. I was like looking at the, the trailer and I was telling Kristen and she was like, Oh, this looks really interesting. I said, and she said, that's Dua Lipa. I'm like, Dua Lipa's in this. Wow. Okay. That's cool. But uh, I too, am a big fan of uh, Brian Cranston and, and um, Sam Rockwell and Bryce Dallas Howard. I think she's great. Not, not just behind the, the camera, but also in front of it. So, uh, and Henry Cavill too. So just an all-star cast seemingly. So, yeah, it was very enjoyable. Um, on the small screen, I did uh, watch a bunch of episodes of Mr. and Mrs. Smith, 
the okay. TV show that's based on uh, it's it's on Prime uh, Video. Uh, it's based on the uh, 2005 movie, if you remember, with Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie. Yes. Uh, the TV series stars uh, Donald Glover as yes. John Smith and Maya Erskine as Jane Smith, mm -hmm. the couple. And, uh, you know, there's guest appearances by, like, John Turturro and Paul Dano. Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Smith is an American spy comedy television series created by Francesca Sloan and Donald Glover, inspired by the 2005 film that premiered on February 2nd, 2024 on Amazon Prime Video. It stars Glover and Maya Erskine as John and Jane Smith, a married couple who are secretly highly skilled assassins. Mm. Um, you know, I'm not sure if this is trying to it like they bill it as a thriller in some places and as a comedy in other places. Mm. I'm not sure that this television series has found its. Um, I, you know, I don't think the chemistry between Donald Glover and uh, Maya Erskine is quite there the way mm. it was between Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie. Certainly, uh, you know, and. It, it It is a television show that is, you know, like I said, trying to find its footing. And I don't think it's quite there yet. Mm. So I'm going to give this, you know, on a scale of one to ten, I'm going to give this a six right now. Sure. Uh, although I'm going to continue to watch the rest of this first season. Mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot of the reviews are mixed, um, you know, out of five stars, it's coming in at 3.5 stars. Mm. Uh, and I don't necessarily disagree with that. So they, they have dump, it. Do they dump Mrs. the whole, do they dump the whole series for streaming or are they doing it? Yeah, weekly? it's uh, yeah. On, uh, I believe so. Okay. Um, uh, because I haven't had any issues uh, watching it. Okay, cool. Uh, and then uh, I've been watching uh, a series that I think I talked about maybe a year or two ago. Uh, it's uh, it's called Line of Duty, and this is a British police procedural, uh, and it's there's six seasons of it. I've actually uh, you know watched seasons one through four, you know, kind of during the pandemic and after the pandemic, um, but I just watched season five. You can find this um, uh, on, uh, I, I think I've been watching it on Acorn TV, but right. it's on Sling, it's on the Roku, Roku channel, and it's on Tubi, um, as well as uh, Peacock. Right. Uh, so it's it's sort of all over the place. You, you should be able to find it. I really enjoyed this show, um, and I'll give you a little synopsis here. After refusing to help cover up an unlawful and fatal shooting by members of his team, Detective Sergeant Steve Arnott is transferred to the Anti-Corruption Unit 12, AC-12 as it's called, run by a zealous superintendent, Ted Hastings. The, de the, the department is responsible for investigating possible corruption within the Central Police Force. Working alongside D.S. Arnott is Detective Inspector Kate Fleming, who is an undercover specialist. With the help and oversight of Hastings, Arnott and Fleming take on difficult cases which lead to, um, which lead from laddering, 
which uh, I'm not really sure what they're talking about there, mm-hmm. to mishandling evidence and beyond. Um, really great cast. You know, Vicki McClure plays Kate Fleming. Martin Compton uh, plays Steve Arnett. Uh, Adrian Dunbar is Ted Hastings, the superintendent. He is a terrific British actor. I mean, just absolutely. Uh, uh, I think he's a British Irish uh, actor. Uh, really terrific. Uh, is a great cast. Uh, and it's just a well done show. Uh, and I highly recommend this line of duty. Um, so it's uh, a television series that's run from 2012 to 2021. Okay. Um, and then finally, Al John, uh, I watched the first episode of masters of the air. This is a Tom Hanks, Steven Spielberg, uh, production and it's sort of like the third installment from them you know they did band of brothers and then they did uh the pacific you know the war in the pacific yes. right yes and now they're doing masters of the air uh and uh masters of the air uh is uh, it's based on masters of the air america's bomber boys who fought the air war against nazi germany mm. um and this is this is a incredibly well done show for apple tv okay. um and it stars austin butler sawyer spielberg callum turner barry uh keegan uh uh lauren mcqueen raf law uh this is an ensemble cast uh these are guys that are flying these b-29 flying fortresses during world war ii uh it's as realistic as you can get it explores the aerial wars of world war ii through the enlisted men of the mighty 80th air force of the united states army air forces and it's the 100th bomber squadron which uh you know was referred to as the bloody 100th because of the amount of casualties that that uh, unit took during the war Ah. um and uh you know again seeing these flying fortresses and the way they put this together it's really spectacular um i really enjoyed it Nancy watched the first episode with me. And at the end I said, what'd you think? She goes, oh, I was bored. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, I kind of feel like it's one of those situations where, you know, um, uh, maybe the guys out there are going to really enjoy it, but women may not like this kind of uh fair. I don't gotcha. know, you know? So mm. I think it's very well done and I really enjoyed it a lot. Awesome. I love That's it. what I've been watching. What have you been watching? Well, Dave, uh, I continue to uh, watch American Horror Stories, uh, the anthology on Hulu. Finished it out, their latest season. Uh, this is probably the best season yet for them. So if you love uh, horror anthologies or just you know, kind of like the Guillermo, Guillermo del Toro uh, slash creep show kind of uh, you know 40-minute stories, this is a great one for you. I, I feel like it's really good. Well-written. Uh, and that's right. on Hulu. And of course, now that uh, the season of TV's back on, I've catched uh, catching up with some of my favorite procedurals: Law and Order, SVU, and Law and Order: Organized Crime. Uh, those are some of my favorites. Can you believe it's been on for like twenty three years, Dave? A Law and Order, it, SVU. It, yeah, it's unbelievable. I I just read uh, 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 in the uh, trades that Sam Waterston is leaving. Is yeah. it, he was? Is it Law and Order SVU? I think I think that is Law and Order. I can't remember which one. I, I get confused. There's so many of there's these. So, there's you know? so many. Yes, that's right. But, uh, I mean, we've got 
I mean, they're they're great, and Marissa Hargitay is just a wonderful. Uh, but wonderful but actress. Sam Waterston, I think, was in it for like twenty years. Yeah, I think that would be uh, the the other Law and Order. Um, let's see here. But anyway, yes, um, uh, yes, he is in the regular Law and Order uh, show. The, the first one, the yes, original show. That's right. That's right. Yeah, not he was not like, one of the spinoffs. Uh, no, no. He was in the original one, and he was like one of the original lawyers uh, in that show. And, you know, I I mean, that was on forever. I mean, I I can't I can't even tell you how many episodes there are of that. Of that yeah, of that yeah. Series. So I, I, I don't know if he's retiring or what. He must be just must deciding, be. like, I've done this for 20 years. I'm leaving. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's he's been at it for a long time. But, I mean, talk about... Uh, lengthy career in that one show but uh, those two are great shows and i finally dave saw on uh paramount teenage mutant ninja turtles mutant mayhem all the way through and (laughs) did you like it oh i loved it i thought it was great it's visually it's a stunning film i think it's it's beautifully done i was never a big teenage mutant ninja turtle fan uh you know i mean i had seen some things over the years but uh when i went to see this i saw it in the theater and i just was blown away i thought just visually it was a stunning film and and overall it was just a very good film it was Uh it was well written it was well paced uh it was very enjoyable yeah and it set things up for the future of the franchise which i love so uh, if you're a teenage mutant Ninja turtles fan and want something new uh to be brought to the table. I think they did it. And I was really surprised at how they kind of um, turned it into kind of a high school. There was like a mix of like high school um, drama slash, you know, trying to bring that high school, you know, point in. And then uh, also a twist on the, the villain characters as well, which, which I appreciated, but I love the art style and the soundtrack because it's very New York. I mean, you're a New Yorker, Dave. So yeah, I think yeah. that, kind of brings that art style that they were going for from the original comic book, which I love so much. So that, that was good. And then um, William Shatner's got a brand new, uh, it's not a brand new show, Dave. It's called the unexplained. It's been on several, several seasons now on Netflix. And this is one of those shows where they take different subject matters, like in search of, and they talk about, you know, the, the origins of certain things and why some things are just unexplained, you know, just, um, whether it's kind of like the Nazca lines or different things like that. It's very kind of history channel esque, but um, I'm fascinated with that kind of stuff. Always have in search of was one of my favorite shows growing up with Leonard Nimoy. And uh, this, have you watched all of them? I've seen them all. Yep. Really? Did you see the one I'm in? I did. I think we talked about that. (laughs) I think we talked about that um, a while ago. Um, Yeah. You were talking about Epcot, which was, uh, which was great. Yeah, it, it was funny because I I did get some note from somebody telling me uh, in no uncertain terms it's the experimental prototypes uh, community of tomorrow, and I think in the show I said experimental prototype city of tomorrow, and uh, and I'm like, well, you know, a city is a community too, isn't it? <laughs> well, I you know what's kind of funny is that I, we went back through and actually have Walt saying both. 
I think, uh, in the archive, yeah. you know, he would, he would interchange those, those things, but we, yeah, we did take a, we did laugh at it a little bit as well, but it's back for a new season, Dave. So, yeah. uh, but yeah. I remember seeing it the first time going, I know that guy, I'm a podcaster <laughs> with that guy. It's so cool. But anyway, uh, yeah. uh, what have you guys been watching? Let us know in the show notes, uh, and, and leave us those voicemail or email messages and we'll check them out in a future edition of Skull Rock Podcast. Skull Rock Podcast, ripped from the headlines. It's Skull Rock Podcast headline news. Hear ye, hear ye. Now on this February 2nd, Punxsutawney Phil, the seer of seers, prognosticator of all prognosticators, was awakened from his wintry nap at dawn. A gob is a wonderful thing. And we can create our own and the weather it brings. It brings hope for the future and so much more. Maybe some Punxsutawney Phil write-in votes in 2024. <laughs> I just had to play that, Dave. Um, I, that was just a quick excerpt. I'd skipped around a little bit. But Groundhog Day happened. Of course, uh, I am a big fan of the Bill Murray film with Andy McDowell. Yes. And uh, it was nice to see Punxsutawney Phil uh, seeing his shadow, meaning that spring will be coming early, Dave. Yeah. And I just thought yeah. I'd play that because Punxsutawney Phil is just so, so cute. Uh, and those people are great. It's a, it's a tradition that uh, I love to see every single year. And, yeah. Uh, but having said that, uh, Dave, Disney lawsuit against Florida, Ron DeSantis dismissed by the judge. Here we go, Dave. Finally. Well, yeah, but this isn't the end. I mean, honestly, uh, Al John, uh, this Disney is appealing this now to the uh, appellate court. Uh, so the, this will continue. Uh, we shouldn't spend too much time on it because it's just going to be uh, one of those things that drags out uh, into the future. Uh, insane. Well, I tell you what's not going to be dragged out is password sharing. Uh I don't know about you, Dave. I, I have my accounts all set up. I've got my own passwords for stuff. I don't really share anything with anybody, but Hulu's going to be cracking down much like Netflix uh, and Disney Plus. And uh, I think, once again, I mean, this is something that uh, they're going to be monitoring. If you've got the same you know, internet address, it's great. But if you don't, maybe not so much. Yeah, and you know, rightfully so. Uh, you know, none of this stuff is for free, yep. you know, people should be paying for these services and, uh, these, uh, streaming services have to crack down on this because, uh, they need to become profitable. And I know we're going to have some stories that we're going to be talking about shortly here, but, uh, you know, we, we spoke about this towards the end of last year, there's going to be consolidation, uh, within, uh, the streaming arena. Uh, and uh, all of these streaming services are trying to uh, increase revenue and turn a profit. And you can't blame them. It, you know, this is, you know, they're businesses. Yeah. I mean, I pay for whatever streaming service I, I need to watch and, and feel our value to me. But there's a lot of people tied into those uh, positions that require that need to be paid. It, it's just, you know, art, art isn't free, right? And even though the model of stuff like, um, you know, music and stuff like that may not necessarily favor the artist that much, I'm still paying for it until there's another way of, uh, you know, they figure that out. I mean, uh, yeah. you know, anyway, uh, Dave, Hollywood and AI 
It's been going back and forth for a long while now. I say that for for over a year plus. Uh, It's been at the top of everybody's uh, news feed. The Hollywood Reporter is saying that uh, Hollywood jobs are at at risk from AI. Uh, Writers, artists, all that stuff. Um, It's crazy what's going on there. And it says a study surveying 300 leaders from across entertainment industry reports that three-fourths of the respondents indicated that AI tools – supported the elimination or reduction or consolidation of jobs at their companies that nearly 204,000 positions will be adversely affected. Oh my gosh. That's huge, Dave. Yeah, no, look, Al John, I equate AI to the digital revolution. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, you know, my background obviously is animation and, you know, I've been in the entertainment industry for, you know, four decades and I'm going to tell you right now, what's happening with AI is what happened with digital and the digital transition within the animation industry. There's going to be a big disruption um, and, uh, those people that are working in animation today should really take notice of this article. Uh, and I hope you put a link to this in our show notes uh, okay. for people so that they can read this because in this article, Jeffrey Katzenberg, you know, who started DreamWorks SKG and DreamWorks animation, um, you know, Jeffrey said, he thinks 90% of animation jobs will be replaced by AI at some point, 90%, you know, and you know, that may be a little on the high side, but there's going to be a major disruption coming down the road uh, with these tools as they develop. Uh, And the article, by the way, cites people who are doing comps for advertising. Uh, there's, there's one person that they interviewed. He said, you know, he's, his phone isn't ringing anymore. He said, because he used to do comps for, uh, you know, advertisements, you know, for ads, you know, commercials and whatnot. Then he says, now they're using a software program that can spit out, you know, 15 or 20 different versions of, uh, uh, you know, comps, uh, and, uh, you know, storyboards for, uh, something they're working on, you know, so it, it is definitely starting to have an impact, but it's going to have a great impact. And those people who are working in animation today who don't take heed of this are going to get burned, you know? And when I say take heed, I'm saying, make sure you have a backup plan. What is your fallback? If you lose your job, what happens if your job is replaced by AI? What's your fallback? Do you have, you know, six months or a year's worth of uh, uh, emergency fund to cover your bills and and living expenses until you can figure out what you're going to do? Because that's what they need to do. Al John, I remember distinctly when they had a mass layoff of traditional artists at Disney. Mm -hmm. I remember seeing people I had worked with for years uh, crying in the hallways because they lost their jobs. You know, and uh, and so, you know, I think people in the industry need to take a serious look at this stuff and not be fearful of it, but anticipate what those changes are going to be and prepare for them. Exactly. I mean, we've talked about AI being a tool for artists to use in order to have a better workflow, but uh, I can see this happening. Um, You know, budgets are tightening. 
I know that uh, Hollywood writers will be greatly affected by this makeup people, uh, uh, you know, with digital effects and different things like that, Dave. I mean, that's your realm once again. I mean, hopefully, you know, we'll see what happens, but, um, you know, I, I, you know, there's still, I think something to be said about human beings, uh, doing. Oh yeah. Listen, look, you know, all of these things are tools Al John. Uh, but, you know, those tools will have an impact. Look, when, when, when there was a transition from, from traditional animation to digital animation, uh, you know, everybody said that they were going to save a ton of money. They're not saving a ton of money. You know, the costs have escalated, you know, the last two years, Disney's had, you know, two back-to-back bombs, but they cost $200 million. Mm -hmm. You know, they thought that, you know, replacing everybody with, you know, computer terminals and, you know, um, uh, Cintiq uh, tablets uh, was going to reduce costs. It hasn't reduced costs. It's escalated the costs, you know, and what you're going to wind up having is you're going to have people thinking that an AI uh, program is going to be able to replace somebody and they're going to wind up doing, say, storyboards or visual development work. But then they're going to realize that, you know, it, they can only do so much with the AI tool and they have to bring in an actual artist to actually take it the last mile. Yeah, exactly. You know? So well, there you go. You know, yeah, once it's going to be craziness. Yes, anyway. Absolutely. Well, speaking of crazy, Universal Music Group pulls songs from TikTok imminently sends blistering open letter. Of course, there are concerns of AI and compensation that have prevented a deal. Uh, TikTok is trying to build a music-based business without paying fair value for the music. Boy, this is big. Uh, they pulled songs from Taylor Swift, Lady Gaga, and Drake on Wednesday. And that is a big deal. Um And it says here, in the contract for renewal discussions, we've been pressing them on three critical issues, uh, appropriate compensation for artists and songwriters, protecting human artists from harmful effects of AI, and online safety for TikTok's users. Um, Dave, once again, it's the wild, wild west out there in TikTok land. It it is the wild west. And and guess what? If people, if content creators on TikTok are going to create videos to songs written by you know musicians and artists shouldn't the musicians and artists get paid appropriately for those yeah 100 percent. you know you, you can't have a video unless you have the song and if somebody's written and recorded a song shouldn't they get paid appropriately for it i mean that's not free no tiktok responded to universal with a statement of its own on tuesday quote it's sad and disappointing that universal music group has put their own greed above interests of their artists and songwriters the statement began despite universal's false narrative and rhetoric the fact is they have chosen to walk away from the powerful support of a platform with well over a billion users that serves as free promotional and discovery vehicle for their talent um ain't that some crap that is a crappy statement dave yeah i you know something it'll all work itself out it always does you know and uh i applaud universal for pulling their music until they're paid their artists are paid appropriately well i don't think that's greed at all well it's the artists and them right i mean they have a vested interest in it and yeah yeah, i mean look everybody should get paid for the art that they do bottom line that's that's the bottom line well someone that's willing to pay a lot for content is byron allen he's making the headlines once again 14 billion dollars to buy paramount global 
Um, he owns the Weather Channel, local TV stations, syndicated TV stations, among other ventures. Byron Allen, one of the most uh, powerful men in the entertainment industry, Dave, and uh, that's quite a bit. He he wants to do it, Dave. Um, well, you know, look, Paramount's in play, and this is all part of the consolidation that's going to start to happen within the streaming industry, right? So in my mind, though, is Byron Allen serious? Because, you know, he offered $10 billion to Disney for ABC, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, and, you know, he keeps making these big, big offers that get headlines, but he hasn't followed through necessarily on a lot of them. So there's a question of the seriousness of it, but it, it, Paramount is in play because, you know, David Ellison and his Skydance, they're circling Paramount to see if they can buy Paramount. You know, Byron Allen's come in now with a bid that I think is higher than what Ellison was prepared to do. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be interesting to see what Sherry Redstone, who has the controlling interest in Paramount Global, to see what she does. And I think she's looking for the best deal she possibly can. So, you know, again, this is just the beginning of that consolidation phase that's going to happen within uh, the streaming world. Yeah. Well, and, you know, he's also trumpeting his himself because, you know, he wants people to know, hey, look, I, I'm a powerful man in media. You know, let's not forget, <laughs> you know, he's yeah, making yeah. those headlines, right? Well, here we are to the regrets portion of the show, and wow, did we lose a bunch of people this week. Um, most notably, uh, I'll say is Carl Weathers. Apollo Creed in the Rocky films dies at the age of 76. After playing pro football, he moved into acting and also went down in roles in Predator, Happy Gilmore, and The Mandalorian. Um he is yeah, one of the, I, yeah. I, I, you know, he was supposed to be in the Mandalorian movie, right? He was. And, and yeah. I don't know if he shot that yet or not. I don't think so. I don't think, I yeah, think they're just in development phase it. of that, that in the next season of the Mandalorian. So a bunch this, of Star this Wars was, This was, you know, this was a surprise. It was a shock. Uh, and uh, all I can say is 76 is young. Certainly. Right. He died in you his, uh, he was reported by Hollywood Reporter, uh, passing away Thursday at his home in Los Angeles. Um, Carl was an exceptional human being who lived an extraordinary life. Uh, through his contributions to film, the arts, sports, he's left an indelible mark and is recognized worldwide for generations. He was a beloved brother, father, grandfather, partner, and friend. And that's according to Matt Luber. Uh, I believe that's his uh, attorney. So... What I mean, I remember growing up with Carl Weathers, of course, in the Rocky franchise, in Predator, um, you know, Adam Sandler movies, The Mandalorian. He's just what a great, uh, great actor and, you know, former NFL star as well. I mean, he is. um, Yeah, no, he's one of those few NFL stars that's crossed over and had a successful uh, acting career. Yeah, what what awesome. Yeah, he played for the Oakland Raiders back in the 70s in the Canadian Football League, but just uh, what a great presence and a commanding voice at that. Uh, Carl Weathers yes. at yeah. 76. Sad. Yes. Mark Gustafson. Uh did I say that name right? I'm butchering the name. Gustafson. Gustafson. Uh stop motion animating veteran and Oscar win- winner from uh, Guillermo del Toro, uh, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio dies at young age, Dave 64. So oh my gosh. Sad. He worked on the California Raisins as well as Wes Anderson's Fantastic Mr. Fox. Um, 
I asked you, Dave, if you'd work with him because stop motion animation is a very seemingly to me um, kind of a very small club of, of yeah, it's a it's a tight knit community. There's not a lot of really good people out there, and you know the people that do it uh, circulate in you know in, in a small area, mm-hmm. uh, going from uh, one film to the next. Uh, and uh, I did not know him. Uh, but I just thought, how sad is that? He's 64 and he had just gotten an Academy Award. Oh, you know, so I mean, sad. it's just so sad. Well, he, he has been influential in uh, claymation and stop motion animation since the 80s with the California Raisins, as well as uh, other uh, different things. Uh, uh, a lot of commercials, a lot of films. So uh, rest in peace, yeah. Mark. Last but not least, let's report on Chita Rivera. Show-stopping legend of Broadway musicals passing away at the age of 91. To, um, two-time Tony Award winner, West Side Story, Bye Bye Birdie, Chicago, and Kiss of the Spider Woman. I mean, that's a lot of musicals, Dave, and a, a very long career on Broadway. She had a fantastic career. Wow. I mean, just absolutely fantastic. Uh, and... You know, groundbreaking roles. Uh, she really did it all. You know, she she received ten Tony nominations. Uh, I mean, it, you know, she won several. Uh, she won twice, uh, and uh, really just uh, uh, an incredible, multi-talented individual. You know, because she was not only an, a, a fantastic dancer, an accomplished dancer, she was an actress and a singer. Yeah. Yeah, she, she was had a, it yeah, all. Yeah, absolutely. Actors, uh, singer, dancer, triple threat. And she definitely, uh, you know, was out there doing it at such a high level for many, many, many years on film and on stage. So uh, check her out. Um, she did do some stuff on the Dick Van Dyke show, as well as Sergeant Pepper's Only Heart Club Band, Waiting in the Wings. And um, so, yeah, just a, just a bunch of great work. So please uh, check out yeah, her and- work. You know, and, and living to 91, this is what we want to see. We want people, we want people to be in their 90s when they go, you know, because yeah. they, they, you know, in the case of Chiquita, uh, Cheetah Rivera, you, you've got somebody who's left behind an amazing body of work. Yes. Yes, indeed. It's our hope that you go out there and, you know, check out uh, Mark and Cheetah and, of course, Carl Weathers' work. Uh, sometime this week and look back on their lives and enjoy the work they leave behind. Yeah. I mean, she was fantastic in the original uh, film uh, stage and film version of West side story West side story. That's right. Yeah. All right. Well, that said it's time now to let Chris Bailey loose. This is part two of animation supervisor slash director, Chris Bailey right here on skull rock podcast. Let's do it. Skull Rock Podcast. Interview time. Well, Al John, we're back again with week two, episode two, with Chris Bailey, animator, director, story artist. Um, Chris, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. Yeah, you know, and, and there's our studio audience. They're back. We invited the same people back like we had last week for you. Okay. Excellent. Uh, um, you know, Last week, we kind of left off. You were talking a little bit about how you got onto Garfield. Um, But I want to sort of go back a little bit before we talk even more about Garfield. I want to talk about Runaway Brain because that was, I think, a major 
moment for you at Disney animation, because prior sure. to that you were doing animation uh, and you did some animation after it. Uh, but you directed and really sort of conceived of runaway brain with Tim Hauser, right? That's right. So yeah. tell us how that came. How, how did that whole short for Mickey come about? Because there, we all know that there's a little bit of a, a, a sort of a polarizing feeling of that <laughs> Mickey, of Runaway Brain, whereas some people really love it and other people aren't sure of it, and it kind yeah. of comes and goes from you know uh, the uh, Disney Plus and uh, you know the studio talking about it, not talking about it, putting it in the vault or whatever. So tell us how that all came about. Sure. Yeah. Well, like a lot of people, animators that went into story and direction, they found themselves would and found themselves in development. At one point, the assignment of developing Mickey cartoons would fall in their lap, and most of those cartoons never got produced because uh, the studio couldn't really decide who Mickey was. If we were going to make Mickey relevant today, who is he? Nobody liked the Mickey in the tuxedo with the pushed up sleeves or the the polo shirt with the turned up collar that merchandising was uh, was doing. They didn't want to do that, but they couldn't decide what it would be. So I think I had the benefit when I was developing Mickey cartoons um, that the opportunity to make it fell between or, or fell to the French studio that was uh, uh, not quite ready to animate on Pocahontas yet. There was just a bunch of animators there that were sitting idle and the studio had a cartoon that they wanted to make. So really, I mean, would you say that the Mickey cartoon was almost like uh, an introduction to Disney animation for the French studio because they were relatively new to the fold? That was the idea. That's right. Yeah. It's like the studio would have a chance to sort of train them on a short. They did the Goofy movie for TV animation before, which is a marvelous movie. Um, and, uh, you know, originally the cartoon we were going to make was called Tourist Trapped. It was sort of a, a retooling of a cartoon that I was working on uh, with Roger Rabbit called um, Hair and, not Hair My Soup, but uh, uh, crap, what was that cartoon called? I'm forgetting that. <laughs> but it was all about uh, Baby Herman safeguarding Roger to, uh, and is telling is the doctor that he would uh, safeguard uh, safe, safeguard his return home and he would just put him in one horrible uh, situation after another, hoping to kill the rabbit so he could take over Roger's place as the number one star. So that cartoon didn't go anywhere because Disney and Spielberg got in a fight uh, or something. And uh, I decided to repurpose that cartoon with Mickey and Donald. And Tom and Peter really liked it. But when we screened it for Jeffrey, it just kind of went, yeah, not really. I, didn't, I don't get it. So I raised my hand and said, hey, we really like that Runaway Brain cartoon. Can we make that one instead? And they said, sure, if you can convince Roy. So I went and pitched it again to Roy. And Roy said, yeah, great. Yeah, we can make that one. And then we did. But again, I think it was more, it wasn't because the cartoon was so much better than anything that had been developed before. It's just, I actually had a studio that was available to make it and animators sitting idle. Yeah. And with runaway brain that sprung from a drawing you had done, you did one drawing and that sparked the idea of that cartoons. Can you, can you talk a little about that? Yeah. The way Tim and I were working, Tim was the writer. Tim was an animator as well, but he was the writer and I was the, 
the artist director, I would just do drawings. I would either do just one drawing or I'd do two or three of a situation just that I thought would be funny. And again, the, the order of the day was we wanted to make a scary cartoon because we wanted to do a tie-in with this merchandising campaign called Mickey Boo, B-O-O, like Boo Scare. And uh, so I had giant mummies. I had all kinds of crazy stuff, ghosts. And I do this, did this drawing of a crazy Mickey with sharp teeth and fangs and you know ratted hair and crazy bloodshot eyes. And Tim came in and he said, hey, this is funny. What's the story here? And I said, no story. I just thought it would be funny, funny to draw. And he went back inspired and came up with a brain switch idea, which he thought would be perfect because it would be a way that Mickey could act completely out of character and not be Mickey. Because one of the, the uh, prime directives of the cartoon was that it not be confused with anything that was dug out of the vault. Okay. So for our listeners sake, there's a lot of developed Mickey Donald goofy shorts in the archives that were never made. Not a lot, but a number of them, um, you know, uh, Mickey and, you know, Arabian nights and things like that, 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 uh, but they wanted something that was more updated, original, not something that's a remake or, or you were finishing that had been developed 50 years ago. That's right. And they wanted people to watch it. Um, and know that it was made today, not 50 years ago. So Mickey, Mickey's TV had to be a contemporary TV. You know, if, if cell phones were around, then Mickey would have a cell phone. Skateboard, um, all of that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, that's right. And so what I decided to do when I, when I looked at all those old cartoons, I really fell in love with the early black and white ones, like Plain Crazy and, and Mad Doctor. And, Galloping and Mickey was this little, like, aggressive dude you know like you didn't mess with mickey mouse and he was always you know getting in a fight with the landlord or the boss and he was dating Minnie, and he just seemed like this this little cool little aggressive guy so that's uh that's the mickey i uh that's the mickey personality that i wanted to uh to showcase and once the cartoon was you know you were near completion on it uh jeffrey left the studio and jeffrey was a big supporter of the cartoon right yeah yeah he was always one that was always pushing it to go further and i remember we had a, a screening back at the studio we didn't quite have the ending we had now um but uh it was almost complete and i remember you know the, the reaction was really great in the, the, the studio. Excuse me, let me back up a little bit. The cartoon was almost done. Jeffrey had just left the studio, actually. So the, the people in the room were Michael, Tom, and Peter. I don't think Roy was there. And then there were the usual, you know, supervising animators and directors. And the cartoon played really well. And I said, okay, we're going to watch the cartoon. You're going to see the ending. Then we're going to have two seconds of black. We're going to go back 20 seconds. And I'm going to play you an alternate ending that we just thought of. And, uh, and we did that. And the cartoon played really well. And remember Michael Eisner saying, well, that was a setup if I ever saw one. Because the first ending was, oh, that's good. That's cute. And the second ending got laughs, really big laughs. Which is what you wanted. And, which is what you wanted. Yeah. which is what, of course, we all want. And uh, so I was feeling pretty high. 
And the next day where you, know, you go back and you sit through the cartoon with the executives and they tell you what they want you to change. They were just emasculating the cartoon, just telling me they had to take all this stuff out, all the, this, all the saliva had to go. There were certain scenes where the monster was uh, chasing Minnie in the bikini store that had to go. And, and, and uh, you know, it, it was just smoke was coming out of my ears because I was, I was just coming off this incredibly successful screening and it was exactly what I had hoped it would be and what we'd been working for all this time. And then now, you know, the, you know, it just wasn't the cartoon that that management wanted to make or the vision of Mickey that they wanted out there. And so uh, they cut a lot of material and I was going back to my desk, you know, reanimating hookups. So stuff didn't pop so bad. And yeah. Um, so, it, so yeah, so, so yeah. So, but I mean, I, it's funny because it, watching the cartoon with you, I actually hadn't watched it in like decades. I was like, yeah, it still plays pretty well. Yeah, there's some stuff I missed in there. You know, I, 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 the one thing I'll say, because I, I, I was, you know, the the artistic coordinator, visual effects supervisor to, to you know, va- basically get that cartoon finished when it came back from, from Paris. And, and of course, I loved all the saliva you know, <laughs> on Monster Mickey, you know, because it was, fant- I thought it was fantastic. You know, it just made him look even more, you know, crazed. Uh, but when I watched it with you uh, back in November, um, I didn't miss it. It didn't, no. it didn't detract from the shot. You know, either, you know, either did I. And, uh, and I think my reaction when I said they emasculated the cartoon, that was more because I was so passionate about it. Um, and, uh, you know, but, but, uh, I I would say the only thing I wish in retrospect is that I wish they'd come to that conclusion a little earlier so that, uh, I could have smoothed out those little pacing bumps that were a result of some of the scenes. Uh, cause some, some of the cartoons I developed were charming Mickey. I like charming Mickey. I like aggressive young Mickey. I, you know, I, I don't really have a. A particular uh, we, we probably can both agree we don't like corporate Mickey. That's right. We don't like corporate Mickey. <laughs> Boring corporate Mickey. And yeah. me, it's like the whole idea of doing another Yonner Mickey cartoon was like that was just anathema to me. Yeah. And and what do, what do you think about the uh sort of the seesaw uh reaction over the years with that cartoon? I mean it you know. I don't know. I mean, I, I remember getting some mail at the studio. They're always really good about forwarding on mail, positive and negative. And, uh, and you know, it would be, this cartoon scared my three-year-old. Disney shouldn't make cartoons like this again. And then I would get, wow, this is the coolest Mickey cartoon I've ever seen. And I've still saved all those. <laughs> and to anyone who wrote me a letter, I, I did a drawing of Mickey and sent it back to them. And if they hate it, I said, don't tell them not to make any more car- any more Mickey cartoons. Tell them to make more. Because for every runaway brain, there's going to be 10 you're going to love. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but the up and down, I don't know. I mean, what's weird to me is it, it's like, like the audience... I don't know if everyone saw it because it wasn't Mickey Mouse that was a salivating rabid dog or rabid mouse. It was the monster that was in his body. Right. Well, Mickey, when Mickey was in the the big monster's body, he was the hero and he was like a diehard hero. So I don't, I don't understand, you know, it's not like I ruined Mickey Mouse. I, 
I preserved him as the hero. No, you know something I, I got to say when we watch it at the CTN Expo, uh, we watched it twice, which I was kind of glad we did, you know, showing it at the beginning and then talking about it and talking about some of the Easter eggs that are in, in the cartoon and then and then showing it again. I, I just thought the animation was just absolutely beautiful on that cartoon. I mean, it harkened back to sort of the the zenith of Disney animation in the 1930s, you know, uh, the late 1930s with, you know, Freddie Moore and, and that Sorcerer's Apprentice Mickey. I mean, it was just, I thought the animation was just so beautifully done. Yeah. Thanks for that. The, the guys, are, the crew worked really hard and, and did a fantastic job. The goal was actually, it was a little bit later era than that. It was the, um, he was the more athletic looking Mickey when his ears were fixed to his head, but I wanted the classic ears that just kind of rolled around as a, as a 2D yeah. animation trick. So he was a little less bottom heavy and he had a little chest. I think yeah. it was more like the Ward Kimball Mickey. Yeah, but you know, it's that period. I mean, you're talking, yeah. you're talking late, 30, rubbery. Late, yeah. late 30s it's... into the 40s. I mean, it was just sort of a, uh, to me, sort of the sweet spot of the Disney animated shorts, you know? Oh, and also, you know, the the background design, you know, by Ian Gooding and Dan yeah. Cooper was phenomenal. And yeah. also the the sound design, what was really great. Oh, yeah. Steve Lee, who did the sound design in Runaway Brain. You know, we just brought like just a science fiction feature, you know, world yeah. into that Mickey world with uh, with the work there. Let, let's talk about a couple of little things that people aren't fully aware of. And uh, it, when Mickey's in the living room at the beginning of the cartoon playing the video game, there there's something on the credenza in the back in the background. <laughs> Can you talk yes. a little bit about that? Yes, the Starship Enterprise is in the background. <laughs> As anyone who knows me knows I'm a, a phenomenal Star Trek fan. I've got an Enterprise pizza cutter right here. There you go. <laughs> um, and uh, anyway, I, so I asked Ian Gooding, he said, hey, can you put the Enterprise in there? So Mickey's going to have a model kit of the Enterprise. And uh, and he was like, well, I, they're just going to take it out. And we said, nah, we'll tell them it's some piece of modern art sculpture or something. They'll, they'll never know. Anyway, it's in two different backgrounds. I had forgotten about that. And I was shocked. It's the Enterprise. There is no doubt it's the Enterprise in the <laughs> living room. So either they said, ah, it's fair use. Let it, let it be the Enterprise or it got past everybody. I have no idea. Yeah, I, I, I'm sure it's it, it, it got past everybody. And then they just said, ah, it's fair use. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> but uh, there's a couple other things just to set up Mickey's personality. Yeah. There's a pair of his shorts hanging on the banister. You know, just like it's an old swimsuit or boxer shorts or something. And uh, there's a plant in the corner and it's dead. And <laughs> and I and all the leaves are on the ground because when I was a young single guy, I had a plant in the corner. I didn't water it. It died. And I, I just never picked up after it. And it's that there a left, year. You just left yeah. it there. <laughs> that's, that's just where Mickey's priorities were. Mickey, in that respect, was me at 20 years old. There you go. There you go. There, there's a few other things. Uh, obviously, uh, Dr. Frank and Ollie is a tip of the hat to uh, Frank Thomas and Ollie Johnson. Yeah. And that was Todd Kurosawa's idea. Yeah, I, Todd Kurosawa. It, it's absolutely fantastic. I love it. Uh, I have to say before we move on. Yeah. 
the establishing shot of of Mickey Mouse um, looking like it was out of the uh, the Exorcist. Yeah, <laughs> that is one of my favorite just frames of that because he's standing in front of the house and it literally he's got the 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 suitcase or whatever and it just it looks like the exorcist and i'm like that that was on purpose right i mean absolutely no I it's just... the exorcist as a matter of fact in the temp we had tubular bells and of course when you when you play the exorcist theme behind it it's a home run oh yeah and jeffrey was like we got to buy that it's it's worth it whatever so, it costs it's so and good then, uh, and then of course you know so then jeffrey doesn't make it till the end of the cartoon and they're like, we're not paying that <laughs> and, uh, so the joke the joke became it went from being forefront uh to becoming an easter egg but so uh, yeah it was always meant to be a full-fledged <laughs> exorcist gag it's so good <laughs> And, and, and speaking of Jeffrey leaving, uh, the uh, when Mickey's on the mat at the door, uh, and uh, uh, you know, presses. You're, you're talking about his pink slip that can be seen with. Yeah. All so so when trash. Mickey gets gets slu- sucked down the uh, the mat, you know, the mat is like a trap door. Uh, you know, uh, there's all these leaves and stuff, but they're, they're for about three frames. There's a pink slip that flies and, and through who, with JK is, on it. Who, and who is responsible for that, Dave? Hmm. Oh, oh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not admitting or, you know, I, you know, something, it was, it was a fun little thing to do. It was part of an effect shot. Uh, that we were working on and just to add a JK to a piece of paper as it flew through and making that piece of paper pink. Uh, it was just a little nod to Jeffrey getting his pink slip. You I, know, I was wondering about that. And that, and that whole fall. Just a nod. There's a few other jokes. There's um, uh, Dan Tanaka was the uh, key cleanup person on Zazu from Lion King. So yeah. you see Zazu get sucked in right alongside the pink slip. And then later, when the monster's roaring at Minnie on top of the the bikini or the Hawaii uh, advertisement, uh, Zazu comes back out of the monster's mouth uh, with all the. And and most people don't pick up on it, but as soon as you tell people and you run it, everybody sees it because they they see see the blue and yellow of of Zazu flying through, you know? So. Yeah. Um, what when you look back on Runaway Brain because it got nominated for an Academy Award? Yeah. Um, when you look back at that whole project, what are you most proud of? Gosh, really, it's the the work. Like you said, I'm I'm looking at it, and it's like it's as good as anything I've ever seen. Yeah. You know, the there are a couple shots in there, um, like the beginning of the little keynote that I had to go along with our talk at CTN. I just played on a loop, a shot of the monster bursting up out of the rubble in the lab and he drops down and he's, he's on all fours and his head is darting back and forth. I was looking at that going, dang, that, uh, I can't remember the animator, Yoshi, I think. Um, but uh, Andreas uh, was the supervising animator. Andreas was the supervising animator, but yeah. that wasn't one of his shots. Right, right. Um, it was one of the French artists and uh, – it was uh, just, just, just amazing. Yeah, and, and the fact that it won, it, it, the fact that it got nominated for an Academy Award, Chris. I mean, everybody says, "Oh, it's so great to be, you know, nominated." Uh, but uh, you know, it, it, it's it's 
it elevates that cartoon into a category at Disney of Disney shorts that have either been nominated or won Academy Awards. You know? Yeah, which I think is is I mean, first of all, it's incredibly gratifying for sure. Um, but also it kind of, as you talked about, they recognize it, they don't recognize it, they love it, they hate it. Yeah. They it. They, but because of the Academy nomination, they can't ignore it. Right. You know, which, exactly. uh, which is great. Um, yeah. You know, I guess it doesn't really mean anything to me either way, but, um, but I love that it can't be dismissed in that, in that sense. Do, do you feel that with some of some of the animation that's been done over the decades at Disney, they're 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 sometimes too sensitive on stuff and they they want to keep it hidden away where they should shouldn't, uh, you know, and I, 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 you know, I don't say that lightly. I mean, there there's some things that. You know, they obviously feel like is the third rail, like you know, uh, Song of the South or something. Yeah, you know? yeah. But um, you know, do you, do you feel like you know uh, uh, they they should embrace this as opposed to constantly going back and vacillating back and forth? Yeah, I'm, personally, I, I do. I I didn't have any problem, you know, when. Um, when uh, my teachers uh, framed, you know, some of uh, the language in Tom Sawyer to us saying, look, it was okay for people to talk like this, you know, back in this day, but not today. And right. at that time, this was a relationship that people had, but yeah. that's not appropriate today. Uh-huh. I got it. And I was in the third grade. So I don't quite know how people became so fragile or why things can't be placed in a historical context. You know, I I hate it. I hate that things just go away. I think that's, that's wrong. Well, it's kind of erasing history. It really is, you know, you're trying, you're trying to erase history. And when you're erasing history, you wind up uh, sort of burying people that should be celebrated. Well, I, I played for my students. I did a class on, limited animation and I, I played two whistle punk and boom for them, which is just an amazing cartoon. But, you know, there's a lot of uh, caricatures at the end of that, where the animation goes around the world. Yeah. That's just, you know, based on like page one of racist stereotypes or visual sure. stereotypes. And it was pretty jarring to look at. I hadn't seen that kind of thing in 20. I mean, I haven't probably watched it since I was right. in the arts. Yeah. And I'd forgotten that it was there. But the world didn't come to an end. Everybody knew that cartoon was made in the 50s or the yeah. early 60s. And, um, and, and, and it's contextualized. It, you know, it, it's similar to um, uh, some of the propaganda cartoons that that Disney produced during World War II, sure. right? Some of that material really is not acceptable in today's, uh, you know, in today's standards, you know? Well, some but, of this- yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, Finish but if you but if you con if you put it in the context of it's World War II, we're we're doing unflattering things against our enemies, and our enemies are doing the same thing against us. 
That's right. You know, in their propaganda. So so when you contextualize it, by the way, I, I helped produce the uh, Walt Disney Treasures, uh, Walt Disney on the Front Lines, uh, which was all of the World War II material. Wow. And, and so some of the really sort of harsh propaganda films, uh, we baked a uh, introduction by Leonard Malton onto the head of that. And we excluded it from a playoff function on the DVD. So you had to navigate to it. And then if you're going to watch it 50 times, you had to watch Leonard Malton 50 times contextualize the cartoon. So they were, they, they were totally fine putting that out. And guess what? Not one complaint letter to the studio, not one, you know? And I think to me, there's a thirst for that kind of material in historical context. Well, when we went to Cal Arts, you know, I remember Daryl Van Sitters coming up. He had already left the school, but he came up to sort of mentor some of us younger people. And he was showing us Song of the South and he was freeze framing it, going slow motion. Some of the most brilliant animation that's ever been produced and to have it, you know, go away because somehow people can't. There's a perception people can't juxtapose or, you know, when this thing was made against, you know, contemporary norms is is. Well, well, the cra- the crazy thing is, is that Song of the South uh, is, is hidden away, but right. Gone with Gone with the Wind is played all the time. Yeah, I know. I, I you know, know. And, and and Gone with the Wind is more egregious on sure. so many different levels than Song of the South. I mean, Song of the South, uh, James Basquette, Uncle Remus is the hero. He's the wise old man. You excuse know? me, Dave. Uh, excuse me, Dave. This is HR. It is not on brand. <laughs> it is not on brand, Dave. I know, really. <laughs> I mean, we, hey, did you have you, listen? I have to. I, before I forget, in uh, in the compilation, did you include VD attack plan? Uh, oh. I think we talked about that. Oh, no, no. Wait a second. The VD attack plan was not World War II. VD attack plan was 1970, I think it was. Oh, Vietnam then. No, it it was really a, a, a Disney educational productions health. Really? Film. I thought it was for the service. Yeah. No, it was a health film. Oh uh, no, I, that's where I yeah. saw it. I saw it in yeah. high school or junior yeah. high. Yeah, it was a health film. Uh, but you know, we we included, I think, a lot of things in, in that DVD collection from World War II that they would be reticent to show today. Yeah. Uh, in today's uh, you know climate, uh, which I think is unfortunate because again, you're erasing history. And by the way, when you talk about Song of the South, there were there were some. Uh, not only James Basquette, who got an honorary Academy Award for the film, uh, you had other black actors of the day who did voices for the animated characters who have very wonderful stories about about themselves. You know, Johnny Lee, who did one of the voices uh, for the animated characters. Uh, you know, he and his wife uh, self-funded uh, a, a community theater in South Central Los Angeles. You know, there's there's all of these rich stories about yeah. these black actors that were involved in that project that is just being sort of erased because they don't they they don't want to show this movie. You know, anyway, we could do a whole show on that, and I yeah. I, I think we we've gotten off track again, but um, so. Runaway Brain, uh, I mean, obviously it was a success because it got nominated for an Academy Award. 
Yeah. And that was fun, you know, getting to go to all those lunches and the parties yeah. and the actual awards. And, uh, you know, I, I really enjoyed that process. And, and I never, first of all, I never win anything. Even when I've won awards, I've been a tie my whole life. So I never went into it assuming I would win. So I actually right. had a really good time with that. Where uh, at the awards, <clears throat> you know, after you have efforts over and you get up to go have dinner, I remember there was a, there, there was a group that had a short that was, that also didn't win. I, they'd convinced themselves they were going to win and they were all bummed out. And uh, <laughs> I remember my, my wife at the time, she leaned over and was like, let's get away from these guys. They're bumming me out. <laughs> and then we went back and had the party. <laughs> you know, I, I think you're absolutely right. If you get nominated, you, you, you can't go into it thinking you're a shoe in. You just no. have to be, you have to be happy. You got a nomination. You got some recognition from your peers and leave it at that. And, and if by chance you do win, well, then you celebrate the other people who didn't. That's right. You know? That's right. I mean, 80% of the people that, that go into, you know, they don't walk out with an award. So. Right. Right. So um, runaway brain, uh, you know, that, that to me, uh, it, it, you know, again, it's a wonderful short. I think we've talked about everything we're going to talk about on that. Uh, yeah, probably. You know, because <laughs> because really, when when it comes down to it, as I mentioned earlier, the animation is spectacular. The art direction, the backgrounds, the sound design, the, the sound design, just you know, the scene planning, the camera moves. I, I mean, it's just all wonderfully done. Uh, and uh, and it's it, it's a short that I think people can point to as being an example of you know Disney animation. At, at its you know peak you know at a at, you know really firing on all cylinders for that short yeah thanks for that yeah, yeah i'm really proud of it so let's go on to other things that you worked on because we were talking last week a little bit about garfield i want I, I, you did you do more than one garfield film you did two right yeah i did the first two the okay. live action films that uh, were produced at Fox. And, and was that uh, Bill Murray was in? Yeah. 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 And, and so you were on set for those. Uh-huh. Uh, and can you talk a little bit about that process? Because I think our listeners would be fascinated by it. Well, sure. So what happened is, you know, I left, uh, you know, I, I animated after Runaway Brain, I animated on Hercules and I left and I started doing CG supervision on uh, uh, I did Deep Rising and I did Mighty Joe Young. And then uh, I was asked to go animate or direct the Clerks animated series with Kevin Smith. Oh, yeah, I worked on So that. I left, I was doing Inspector Gadget, Disney's Inspector Gadget with Matthew Broderick uh, in the role. I left that. Our friend and colleague, Matt O'Callaghan, came and took over the visual effects for me on that film. And then I went back to Disney TV. I went to Disney TV for the first time for Clerks, uh, which was a great experience. Um, and then that only lasted six episodes. And uh, but that led to Kim Possible, which uh, was the next series I worked on. And uh, that lasted one season. They didn't know if it was going to be a hit or not. And so they let they let everybody go except for the two creators. 
And I went to a company called Cinesite in Los Angeles. And I went back to work with my old producer from Hocus Pocus on X-Men 2. And I did a whole bunch of stuff, Freddy versus Jason and all kinds of things. And while I was there, they were trying to get the their CG character animation division up to snuff to do movies like Garfield. Mm-hmm. So I was always taking meetings with people. And uh, I went to the Bake Off one year and ran into an old friend of mine from Digital Productions, Charlie Gibson, who... Um, you know, after a series of events, uh, asked if I'd be interested in doing the Garfield movie because he met with some producers and he had passed on it and he'd make the introduction to me, uh, for me. And I said, sure. And I met with those people and I got the, and I got the part, I got the part as animation director, but here I was still at Cinecide. So I went back to my bosses at Cinecide and I said, Hey, I've got it. I've been asked to be animation director on this movie Garfield for Fox and they will give Cinecide. 30% of the effects for the movie if uh, if I can do the movie on the producer side. So, because we need to, I'm still under contract for you guys. And, um, uh, and they got a rather lukewarm response, which I didn't understand. And it was because Cinecite Los Angeles was going to be closed down soon. Oh. Um, so, uh, wow. it turned out just to be a seamless transition from me from, you know, working at Cinecide, where I worked on, again, on X-Men and Freddy vs. Jason, to uh, moving over to Fox as animation uh, supervisor on Garfield. So when when you're doing animation supervision on uh, a film like that, the animation's being done after they uh, shoot the live action. That's right. Right? So, so can you talk a little bit about the process on set? Uh, of, you know, an actor has to basically be reacting to, you know, Garfield, who's not there. That's right. Uh, That's right. Well, we have a little stuffy of uh, these animals like Garfield and Alvin and the Chipmunks. And usually what happens is, uh, well, first, these movies are storyboarded like animated movies. Maybe not as many poses, but they're thoroughly planned out. And then usually me would be on set with the actors and director and we would choreograph the scene and I would just run around with the stuffed animal as if it was the actor so that they could sort of learn the pacing of when Garfield's going to move from, you know, their A mark to their B mark to their whatever. And, uh, and then when they felt they had it, you know, we would just, I would just step away and then they would just act the scene and pretend the character was there. And it's pretty forgiving in the sense that if their timing changes a little bit, well, I can just adjust Garfield to match. Right. Um, you know, the only thing that's maybe a little difficult is with the chipmunks when uh, uh, if they're looking over their heads, there are a few scenes. If you see the chipmunks standing on their toes or jumping up on a prop <laughs> or bouncing up and down, it's because the eye line, we swear it was right when we uh, proved the shot on set. But somehow we got in a post and we're like, oh, can we make him a little bigger? Can we cheat him? Can we put him up on his toes? Uh, but yeah, matching those eye lines was super important. But there is a whole bunch of footage of me running around with stuffed animals on sticks and, you know, puppeting them and yeah, trying to get that performance and timing into the rehearsals with the actors. Did, did you find that some actors adapt to it a little easier and others are a little, uh, have a little tougher time or. No, everybody seemed to be into it. You know, um, 
Yeah, I don't think so. I, I, that was never really the problem. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, uh, trying to think what, if, uh, the, the big issues were. Did anybody um, have to be in a green screen suit? No uh, one ever had to be in a green screen suit. Although is, I think the only thing I can remember that's kind of a fun behind the scenes anecdote is that like, even though Garfield was, was fat, I think he's like a young, he's a young Garfield. So he's going to move pretty quick. It's like, you know, Chris Farley or, you know, and, uh, uh, so whenever uh, the camera, the camera guys would move the camera where you jump from place to place, I was always saying faster. He'll get there before you can actually move the camera. Cameras yeah. do have to be to move that fast. So I got so used to saying that on Garfield that uh, when it came time to go to Alvin and the Chipmunks, where they could move even faster than Garfield, that I would I would tell them you cannot move the camera fast enough. I guarantee it. When I cue you that he's going to move, and then to prove me wrong, they did move it too fast. It was like, all right, you can back it off twenty percent. So they proved me wrong. <laughs> um, what are you what What are you working on now? Are you still doing uh, uh, animation supervision or or directing on any live action animated films? Because you seem to have done a lot of those. Yeah, yeah. No, that was like, gosh, I did that for years and years, you know, as long as Fox was around. And then I did the movie Hop. um, And then I started directing CG and traditional again. My last big project directing was for the Great Wolf Lodge Resorts. Gosh, it was like a couple hours worth of, you know, just rich, traditional 2D Disney type stuff, you know, for their um, for their hotels. And then uh, just most recently, I've been animation director on a CG series at Nickelodeon. Oh, awesome. So and that's a fully animated show. Yeah, it's just beautiful. It's like yeah. the, it's like Game of Thrones for kids. It's this full, full season long arc. You know, with um, with dragons and fighting and trolls and all kinds of crazy stuff. Yeah, well, just step back for a second because you said a full season. Why did Clerks only have six episodes? You know, Peter Schneider always said it was going to be six episodes or it was going to be the biggest hit in the world. And it just didn't click. I mean, there was other reasons for it because it's become this cult classic. And everywhere I go, people are bringing me... Uh, you know, dust jackets to sign from the DVD and things like that. And I, and I loved working on it. Um, but what happened is the like ABC was taking a chance on it because they were the number three network. Right. And somehow in between like our episode one coming out or us getting the green light, uh, how to become a millionaire or what was that? I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. We've talked, we've talked about that. It, it, it's not, uh, it, it, it's who wants to be a millionaire. Who wants to be a millionaire? That's yeah. right. Yeah. So that brought the network single-handedly back to number one, where they didn't need to take a chance anymore. So even though, so they were, they replaced us like after two episodes, but the rerun that they replaced us with wasn't getting as good a ratings. So it just, told me that, well, kind of like Runaway Brain, there were people that just, this isn't the image that we want for ABC. So we don't need to take chances anymore. So let's. let's I mean, it just seems to me six episodes is not something that would be enough to get traction or build an audience. You'd probably want to have, you know, 10 or 12 episodes, you know, to, to try and, you know, 
garner an audience to watch it. Well, I agree hundred percent, but I think that was happening in live action at the time too. Yeah, yeah. I think some live action shows were getting like three episodes, three or four, yeah. just to see if it would catch, but you're right. If you weren't, yeah. if you didn't catch fire immediately, it was impossible to build an audience. Yeah. And uh, by the way, I freelanced on that. Did you? The, the effects. Yeah. Wait on clerks. Uh, yeah. On clerks. Oh yeah. my God. You don't remember. You asked no. me to do it. Did I? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because, because, because I had done five and a half seasons of Ren and Stimpy or four and a half, whatever it was, four and a half seasons of Ren you know, and Stimpy. My brain is porous like a yeah, piece of charcoal. No, no, that's okay. No, but it, 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 it actually, it, it was actually fun to work on it, you know, cause it was just, again, which episode? Uh, I worked on all six, I believe. Did you? Oh my God. Yeah. That's fantastic. Uh, but you know, f- for, for me doing those things were, uh, it, it was a breath of fresh air because it was like, you did something and it was finished and you saw it fairly quickly as yeah. opposed to working on a feature for two or three years. And I have know? to say yeah. guys, I have to say though, the cool thing about that is it had a really cool sense of direction. It looked cool. It looked different. And I think to go back with, with what you guys were talking about with kind of the homogenized animation kind of looks the same. I mean, that's the artistic vision, right? Uh, you were inspired by pop culture and the stuff that came before and it came out in this really cool thing. Plus, Kevin Smith has a very good sense of, you know, what this is about. And I was going to ask you guys, like, what was it like to work with Kevin Smith? Because, you know, guys, I'm a huge Kevin Smith fan, too. So. I, well, I just did freelance. I had no contact, had no contact. with Chris, anybody Chris, come on. other than Chris. Okay. <laughs> he was, he was uh, as collaborative, collaborative as, uh, as you could uh, hope for. Yeah, as a matter of yeah. fact, let me see. I know they, I hate to, again, for you listening at home, you can't see this, but I have a, one of the backgrounds from G and Bob's sci, uh, oh, yeah. science tips back there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you can't really tell, but it's uh, it's an homage to an old Mad Magazine Star Trek parody joke where uh, Jay has made a transporter and Bob has been assembled back yeah, in, yeah. Uh, all out of order. Feel, yeah, but, uh, yeah. you know, he was great. And, you know, Alan Bodner, who is my production designer, art director on Kim Possible, was the art director, production designer on this. So where Kim Possible is like me and Alan Bodner smashed together. Alan was my, my pick, you know, my recommendation for Kevin, but that's really Kevin and Alan Bodner, you know, smashed <laughs> together. So the, uh, uh, Alan's fantastic, by the way, you know, uh, we, we, we just went to, earlier this year, we went to a show of his artwork at the Van Eaton gallery in studio city um, he, he's just not only the nicest guy and a former guest of the skull rock podcast, but, uh, just incredibly talented. I love, I love his art style. Yeah. He's just fantastic. He actually was, he came by Disney TV and he was still finishing up chores on iron giant, but I saw his book and it's like, Oh my God, can you, you have, you have to do this show. And I, you know, we, I liked him immediately. You, you can't not like Alan. Yeah. You have to be some kind of rock not to like Alan. But um, <laughs> uh, but he says, ah, God, gosh, I'd really like to do it, but I can't. You know, I'm busy with this for another few weeks. I said, well, look, let's keep talking because if we're still need some, if we haven't found anybody by the time you're available, it's like it's yours. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and sure enough, that's what happened. Uh, that's so awesome. What, what's the future for you? 
What do you, so, what do you, are you, you're not retired? No, no, not retired. Well, you know, but uh, I have a little time off. I'm supposed to go back to Max um, in January. So years ago, that when, I, when I first left Disney, I created this uh, little short cartoon called Major Damage. And I made a few comic books and I showed it at Comic-Con and, and I had a little, you know, Major Damage Empire going on. And uh, uh, I pitched it around town. I got very close to selling it as a TV series and as a movie a couple of times. And, and just, you know, even have paperwork in hand one time, but nothing could never quite consummate the deal. Then it went on the shelf forever. Right. It's still percolating around in the back of my head. So I boarded two shorts. Then, but I couldn't animate them myself. So they just sat there. It's two shorts that were boarded. Then last year, I was asked by our old uh, producing friend, Alice Dewey from Hercules, if uh, I'd be interested in animating on this, this movie she was producing at Sony for Gendy. And I said, well, you know, I haven't animated in 20 years. I mean, really animated. Right, right. And she goes, no, 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 you'd be great. You'd be great. You'd be great. And so, uh, so I taught myself how to animate using Harmony, which is how they were going to do it. And then uh, once I convinced myself I could actually deliver a shot to her, I said, hey, great. I'm, a, I'm all in. This, is, this sounds wonderful. And well, then they decided, you know, they didn't need as many animators as they thought. And thank you. And, but uh, on the bright side, I was thinking, wow, I can actually animate my shorts myself. You know, and be a one-man show. Yeah. So I've actually uh, I've been animating those, and one of my background designers from uh, a Scooby series I was producing a few years ago has come on to art direct the second one. I art directed the first one myself, and, right. and um, so uh, so I'm animating away so, on a couple personal shorts. So are we going to see any of those anytime soon in competition? I mean, yes, you know, I hope so. You know, th- I, this year you got uh, John Musker's "I'm um, Hip." Uh, his short that's in the film festivals and you got Andreas Deja's Mushka. Right. Right. Uh, there, there's another animator. I think, well, uh, James Lopez has done his, uh, yeah. I don't know if those qualify or not, yeah, but yeah, he's exactly. there to force. Well, you know, what's funny. I mean, look in these and Glenn's shorts and yeah. these, first of all, these guys are giants. So I'm going to just paraphrase Leon Schlesinger when he said that Disney can make the chicken salad. I'm going to make the chicken shit. These guys are up here. I'm doing a very violent comic booky sort of Saturday morning cartoon about, uh, about my monster fighting superhero and these two uh, military soldiers who are my military versions of Mulder and Scully that essentially use this kid who can turn into this giant powerhouse as uh, their muscle to beat up the violent monsters around the world. All right. That's fantastic. Yeah, so you're still so, in the game. So I'm still in the game. You know, it's funny because, you know, I've done all this direction. I've worked on all these huge $100 million movies and stuff. But, you know, just sitting down, like making these little characters run around and do all the stupid stuff you want them to, it actually still gives me the same thrill that I had when I was at CalArts. Which is what it should do because you're an artist. You know, and if you're not enjoying it and you're not getting that 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 buzz from it, then, yeah. why, then why do it, right? Yeah, completely. You know, do you remember our old buddy from CalArts, Glenn Chaika, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so Glenn, I haven't seen Glenn in a million years and I trust he's well. Um, but I remember we shared an office at one of the first studios I worked at and he was doing effects work and 
he was flipping the paper, rolling the paper. And every time the, the explosion would happen, he'd be go. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was like so awesome because that's yeah. what it's about. You are moving these characters around. You can feel the punches and feel the stuff happen. Yeah. And you're enjoying it. Yeah. All right. So that's Chris. it. That's enough. More yeah. in the midnights and uh, more major damage. Fantastic. Yeah. You know, uh, there's more for us to talk about. We're going to have you back. This was a great conversation. And Chris, thanks for being on the Skull Rock podcast. Yeah, this is awesome. I was uh, how am I going to fill up two episodes? I don't oh, my God. We, uh, we could, we could, we're going to have you back to talk about more stuff at a later date. But All right, you know very good. I, I, whenever we have a guest on. You you can't put this stuff into a 45 minute or, you know, thir- you can't compress somebody's career into 30 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And that and that's why we let the conversations flow and we we just want people to tell the stories. And that's uh, that's the magic of the Skull Rock podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Live long and prosper, Chris. <laughs> Very good. Hey, Same man. And hey, listen, thanks. Thanks so much for being on the show, Chris. We, we, I have, you know, we're going to have you back. So uh, it was it was a great conversation. Excellent. I loved it. This is you guys are great. You know, Kristen would normally be here telling you all about what's going on for the Disney travel deal for this week. You may not know that Kristen is a, an amazing travel and vacation planner. She's been doing doing this now for over 15 years and sending people on their merry way, saving money along the way and navigating through the difficult task, which is planning a Disney or Universal vacation or any cruise line uh, for that matter. And right now, there's a deal going on for Disney Plus subscribers where you can enjoy a free Disney dining plan when you purchase a four-night, four-day Disney World travel package. And Kristen has got you the hookup for that. That includes uh, also options for Park Hopper. And if you extend your stay past four days, you even get more value with a Disney dining plan for free. It's amazing. Of course, a Disney dining plan, not only does it allow you to have uh, flexibility uh, with the food actually part of the deal, which saves you a ton of money, but it's also accepted in over 200 participating dining locations, which is nearly every place in the Disney parks and in resorts, uh, as well as some at downtown or Disney Springs, almost at downtown Disney. How dare I? Uh, Anyway, uh, a lot of great deals that are going to be taking place. So uh, if you can book anywhere from the Disney deluxe villas or the deluxe resorts, moderate, or even the value resorts, you can get tremendous savings uh, with the Disney Dining Plan. And, of course, that is good for stays from July 1st through September 30th of this year. So please take advantage of it. And it's, it makes sense. Chances are, if you're listening to this show, you're already a Disney Plus subscriber. So all you have to do is prove that you are a Disney Plus subscriber to take advantage of this deal. And, of course, for that and all kinds of great deals when it comes to uh, Disney vacations here stateside Disneyland Walt Disney World you want to check out Star Wars Galaxy's Edge or Avengers Campus or check out the brand new uh, Disney Cruise Line uh, ships that are going on the Disney Treasure which is accepting bookings right now or of course Universal and Nintendo World you can definitely check that out as well uh, I encourage you to check that out I'd love to check that out myself please email Kristen with her experience and she'll save you time and money and aggravation and send you on your merry way to the best 
vacation ever. So email her at themeparksandcruises at gmail.com. Themeparksandcruises at gmail.com. Hey, it's me, Brett Iwan, the voice of Mickey Mouse. Oh, boy. And you're listening to the Skull Rock Podcast. Your attention, please. <laughs> now loading on track number one for a trip around Walt Disney's Magic Kingdom. Skull Rock Podcast. All aboard. Your main street to the world of Disney. Wow, that's fun. Chris is a good dude. He really is. And, you know, a, a total professional and uh, has worked on so many great things. Uh, you know, it's just wonderful to to be able to have that conversation with him and have him bring his insights into the animation business. Um, you know, it's uh, there. There's just uh, so many great films that he's worked on and great experiences. It's great that after all this time working on Who Framed Roger Rabbit, you guys can reconnect and and talk and share the stories about this and also stuff outside of Disney as well. You know, so it's a it's really great to 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 hear from him, and I'm sure he'll be back talking more stories about his work in animation. And gang, thank you guys so much for listening to the entire show. And if you stumble upon this show, please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. We're on every podcast platform, and we encourage you, our loyal listeners, to go ahead and give us those five-star reviews if you believe we've earned it. Every little bit helps the algorithm and uh, gets us uh, visible to so many more people. You can also leave messages via voicemail. Just click the link on there um, on the show notes. And it'll take you right there. Your your smartphone will open up its recording app and send that recording to us. If you have questions, we want to hear your voice here on the show. Don't forget to also follow us and give us those likes on Facebook, X, LinkedIn, where Dave and I both are, as well as Instagram, and the show archive there at SkullRockPodcast.com as well. Uh, you can check out Dining at Disney Podcast. We're going to be back this week. We had to take a week off because of Car Wreck. We're back. We're Dining at Disney for another week coming up. Dave, it is February, and uh, I know you have a lot of stuff going on. You know, it is shocking that it's already February. Where did January go? <laughs> I want January to be longer. <laughs> uh, you know, I, as always, uh, if you're interested, I've got a, a bunch of free content and free stuff uh, available at my uh, website, davidbossert.com. Uh, you can find out about all my books there. Uh, if you want to get a signed copy of one of my books, go to theoldmillpress.com. Use the code SAVE20, which is going to be good, I think, until February 10th. Okay. Uh, save 20 uh, you'll save 20% on your entire order um, with that I know there's uh, terrible weather on the west coast uh, be safe uh, go out be kind to one another uh, take your time slow down a little bit I, I you know yesterday I got cut off by somebody like <laughs> like aggressively cut off hey, I mean it was hey. just craziness yeah. you know but people go out Take your time, slow down a little bit, and have a great week. We will see you back here next Monday, right here on the Skull Rock Podcast. Become a supporter of Skull Rock Podcast with small monthly donations to help sustain future episodes for just 99 cents a month. You can do that just like Lindsay and Joshua. Thank you so much for your support of our show. Be sure to click our link to support the show at skullrockpodcast.com forward slash support.